HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today exploring the six seasons, and you heard me correctly, there are six, <laughs> with Joshua McFadden of Ava Jeans in Tuscan, Portland, Oregon. Um, how many seasons are there in Wisconsin? Feels like that's a little more conflated than, oh, than the man. West Coast. I think there's mosquito season, humid season, winter, and then I think that's about it. But yeah. you grew up in, in the farm country of Wisconsin. I did, Wisconsin. yeah. It was beautiful. I would love to be able to uh, actually buy one of those farms, kind of one of the old farms with the old silos and the uh, everything, and just kind of like relocate it to the Pacific Northwest because <laughs> uh, of the history. But um, yeah, I loved it. It was great growing up there. Yeah, Talk to me about the spring to summer of, of Wisconsin. Um, well, it's certainly welcomed with open arms just because winter is, is pretty brutal. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's spring. is just like that awesome thing everywhere. You know, it's like, it's finally like that hope. And then there's green shit and like, you're actually can go outside and there's sun. So it's, it's like being reborn again, literally, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to limit our discussion to spring and the three seasons of summer, which right. we'll later ex- explain. Right. Uh, but you know, it, there is that, that kind of like awakening that happens during spring and Absolutely. excitement and, you know, Yes, there's a lot of great things to cook during winter and fall, but there's something so much more special than... It's true. I mean, the same thing can be said for fall. I mean, just like jump ahead. It's just like those, they're the the two most distinct seasons, you know, like, again, we both just said it, things are being like reborn and there's all these different things that are happening and, and the same thing in fall and things are kind of like dying and going away. But those changes I just find to be so exciting because... You know, now we're shedding clothes as, as opposed to in the fall, like starting to wear more. So yeah. it's just, I, there's just something that's so um, 
specific about it, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of a lame way to say it, but you know, it's just like it, things are happening and it's fun to like be a part of that. So you had this acute awareness of seasons actually happening when you were growing up totally. from big Sunday dinners to, totally. you know, late summer mountains of corn, cheese and butter. For sure. I mean, I did, but I mean, I grew up going to McDonald's, Taco Bell, which I still love. Um, <laughs> and, uh, all that stuff. So it wasn't like I, you know, grew up around farms and big industrial farms and my aunt and grandmother had amazing garden patches and uh, my aunt lived on this big 80 acre farm and had animals. So I was aware of it, but it wasn't like, you know, growing up in the French countryside with like this history of like, Oh, we have cured meats in the basement and this and this. It was, it was not like that, but I mean, there was definitely a lot of really great food around as well. I mean, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. I think actually when I was writing the book, I was thinking about pickled Brussels sprouts, how, I used to love them and they were kind of always around. Like my, my parents would, um, have a lot of bloody Marys, uh, like for brunches and stuff on the weekends. And this one farmer down the road used to bottle, um, in ball jars, like this bloody Mary mix that he wouldn't tell anybody what was in it. But there was always like, there was the one that actually had the vodka in it. And then there was the ones that I could drink, but it was like the original bottle cocktail. <laughs> like, like conditioned and aged. Yeah. And it was awesome. And there were just all these like crazy pickles and all those things around and like, you know, summer sausage and all these really fun things that, you know, made me very aware of that. And when I look back on it now, I do see, uh, I mean, some of the best cheese in the world, arguably, right. And, you know, a couple of them and some of the worst as well. But, um, it was, a, it was a really great place to grow up for sure. Yeah. I mean, talk about preserving the season, you know, being able to have a larder and be able to, you know, put them up as they say in, totally. in ball jars. But w when did you come to the understanding or, or reckoning that you could have salume curing in your basement? I know you are alum of Lupa, <laughs> you worked at Franny's. Franny's, yeah. Uh, I worked, uh, I started working at Franny's like six weeks after they opened. Um, after having worked and lived in San Francisco and Chicago and, I was, I was doing all this fancy French shit and was destined to like somehow weasel my way into the French laundry at the time because that was what you were supposed to do. And my apartment building in uh, building, not apartment, burned down in uh, Marin. So I had to move back to Chicago again, more fancy food. And then, um, but always these restaurants with about great ingredients. It was just, there was just so much technique that was involved. And at some point when I started working at Franny's, there was just like aha moments of, simplicity and ingredients and also restraint and there's like literally no place to hide it's just like the pizzas here at roberta's i mean it's like you know i i would absolutely say that they're probably better than a lot of pizza in italy at this point you know because it's just like that awareness of these ingredients um an incredible amount of pride and an incredible amount of there's not the history here so we're looking at making it better right away so I think that I think that that was one of the big changing points, and then I just fell in love with Italian food, and everything made sense. And it was always about the season thing, and, and going back to what we were saying about growing up, just like you know, a lot of the things that were around outside were the things that w was on the table. So whether that was like the warm tomatoes or all that stuff, it was awesome. I mean, not to say that Wisconsinites uh, don't practice restraint, mm -hmm. but I, I do know a couple that smuggle pounds upon pounds of cheese back all the time. <laughs> cheese curds, even. <laughs> the squeaky kind. But 
you worked for Dan Barber, and, yeah. and Blue Hill is that also another study of restraint. I, I've been to Stone Barns, and you know th- there are certain dishes that are served as is carrots on on Butter. steaks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, there's nothing to hide. No, it is, and I and I love that phrase, and I say that all the time. You know, like I have a bunch of goofy ass phrases at the at the restaurant at David Jean's. I'm always talking about, and it's funny. My my uh, good friend Phil from the chef and owner of Rolf and Daughters. Yesterday we just did an event at Munchie's headquarters with Bon Appetit, and it was fun. But he was he was give, he's always giving me shit. But he was giving me shit about the fact he's like, "Did you really in your book explain that you want your food to taste like potato chips?" And he was like, "It was like a really fun way of saying that like you didn't point out what potato chips." But I do. I say it all the time. I'm like, "There's nowhere to hide," and it's kind of like let's let's it's like full frontal nudity in the sense of like let's just go for this flavor. Um, whatever that is, you know, and then find that finesse within that, but also just find that like intoxicating, like, wow, this is delicious. Whether that's through acid or crunch or, you know, and our, and for us, bad is olive oil, but like great olive oils, you can just taste all the stuff and it's, it's really exciting. I mean, from one blue hill to another, uh, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, stone barns to, mm-hmm. to Maine or right yeah, near that. Yeah. Yeah. Elliot Coleman and Barbara Demosh, uh, talk, talk about what their four season farm meant to you. And I'm saying four seasons, yeah, not yeah. six. Yeah, we'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it changed my life. I mean, simply put, I mean, I'm when I had left New York before that, you know, I was working for Dan. Um, and it was like literally like, you know, 70, 75 hour weeks. It's what we do, you know? And before that it was Lupa or no, before that it was, uh, Franny's again as a chef de cuisine. And then, um, before that it was Sambar and before that it was Lupa and I was just like you know we work like maniacs as cooks and chefs and learning how to do that and I love it I'm not complaining about it but it took me to get on this farm to realize I hadn't slowed down in over 10 years like it was like that was the norm and I remember the first farm lunch like sitting that was ironic and then also like by the time I was like done I felt like I was like wow these are like forks and knives I don't need like to, a glove to like shovel food in my mouth sitting out under this beautiful arbor on this farm and I started washing dishes. And then I realized that there was like 45 more minutes left on my break. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what's So like grabbed a coffee and went for a swim in the pond. And I just like, literally I slowed down. And I, I kind of like started hating restaurants at that point, you know, cause it was, um, it's just too tough, and it's like what we do, and like all things we're facing right now with, yeah, you know, the shortage of cooks and labor and all these things that you know at the end will be a good thing. That's a whole other conversation. But uh, I really started looking at the agricultural side of things and what I was experiencing. I felt like um, I wanted to figure out how to share that, and really started looking at different models of feeding people, and like through agritourism or you know hipster campgrounds or whatever the fuck you gotta do, like get a hotel out in the middle of nowhere. And that stuff's happening now everywhere. You know, food is better, probably the best it's ever been in this country for sure. A lot of bad stuff, but also everyone's like paying attention. So there I was just kind of like kind of slowed down and kind of um, had a a really cool opportunity to be aware of that. You know, like sit around the campfire, drink whiskey, way, way too much (laughs) rosé out of these little pewter cups. I don't think there's way too much rosé. I don't know. I don't, yeah, me, I don't. (laughs) And that leads you to awareness. (laughs) And, you know, in that awareness... um, you have to wait for great produce to grow. And I, I know that's uh, part of Elliot um, and Barbara's mission at Four you know, Seasons Farm to, to make people aware that time, patience, care, um, it's just, a, you know, just as much a part of, of being able to be on the line and do totally. like a two-minute pickup. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, it was just... Um, 
you know, I was talking about this earlier today with a friend actually about Elliot and, and Barbara, but Elliot was just like, I mean, he's just like this stunning icon of a human being. Like he's like so charismatic, childlike curiosity, the willingness to fail. And from failing, he's learning something and he's cool with it. And it's just so many awesome manner- mannerisms. I'm, I'm sure it was like meeting, like, it felt like it would be like what you Robert Redford or people like that would be like, it was like this, like, you know, salt of the earth in the best possible way. And, and always a teacher, you know, like there were so many times and I love it. And I will think about it for the rest of my life about going up and asking him something and him literally bending over and drawing in the dirt, like on the gravel driveway, like where to go, like go to this, like greenhouse, you know, where and then like in the dirt, I was just like, it's the coolest thing ever. And it would happen like every other day. Like he's just like drawing some shit, like go over here and get this. What are you doing over there? You know, like it was great. It just, it literally, um, it changed me for sure. 100%. Well, we're going to take a quick break and, you know, leave the farmland mm. and go overseas to Rome and talk yeah. about that education and how that made you aware of, of seasonal produce more so. But you've been listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Cynthia, host of Primary Food, here with Anna Bonengel, a registered dietitian with Eat With Zest, eatwithzest.com, and we are here to talk about Bob's Red Mill and superfoods. So, Anna, what is a superfood anyway? One way to think about it is if you think of foods along a spectrum, there are a few foods with fewer nutrients, and then there are foods that are packed rich with nutrients and antioxidants. And so superfoods are those that are on the furthest on the scale in terms of having the most nutrients and antioxidants. Which foods are considered superfoods? Some are super well-known, like blueberries, kale, salmon. But now people are also going nuts over lesser-known foods like goji berries, acai, flax, and chia seeds. And a really popular one now is black garlic. So if I'm trying to eat better, should I go on a strictly superfood diet? Well, you know, superfoods are, of course, great. And I will say the more you eat, the better. However, eating only superfoods would make you deprived of essential nutrients from nourishing food groups like whole grains. Okay, got it. Well, that's great because our sponsor at HRN, Bob's Red Mill, produces a lot of delicious whole grain products. You know, to be honest, I'm a huge Bob's Red Mill fan. I love a lot of the, the whole grains that they provide, but I particularly love they've come out with a blueberry hazelnut oatmeal cup. That is totally delicious. It's got classic superfoods like blueberries, but also some of the more trendy ones like flax and chia seeds. Um, it's, a, it's a really nice mix of trend and tradition. Bob's Red Mill doesn't chase fads. They just keep working hard to offer as many delicious whole grain and organic food options as possible in an endless commitment to good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan-Turkill, here again with Joshua McFadden of Six Seasons, A New Way with Vegetables. So this is the title of your cookbook, and let's kind of expand what the six seasons are, but put this in the context of Rome, because I've been there, uh, I've cooked there a little bit, and there's nothing like the the satiate, you know, sate, 
sating and and simple food there that I I've never seen it anywhere else in the world. It's just right. just it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. It was a Alice Waters uh, food project at the American Academy in Rome. And it was amazing. Like I was so well. First of all, the only I think Italian I knew was the stuff like cacio pepe and you know Negroni, and that I was it was it was bad. So I drank way too many <laughs> Negronis, and now I don't. But um, it was a really amazing experience, and um, I had been studying and working with Italian food for so long, and then working at Lupa and all these different places, and I was really kind of insecure of what I knew or how I perceived or how like my pasta or my cooking was until I went there and I was like, okay, I got this because, um, it is one of the most beautiful cities on planet earth. And there is some fucking bad food there. There is some of the best products <laughs> on earth, but like, it's kind of shocking yeah. sometimes well, because it's just like, you see, you get like a, the classics and it's like the Punterelli salad that's just like in this much water on the bottom of the bowl. It's like, wow, that's not, that's not the history. That's, mm-hmm. that's just like, oh, that's what these tourists expect and this and this and this. And it's just, there's no love in that. And that, don't get me wrong. I mean, look, a lot of the food, everyone will say it, the food is in people's homes. It's not in the restaurants, especially in, in Rome. And, and from that, I learned a lot about integrity and a lot about like the things that I really want to strive for. And it was amazing. And the ingredients are like unbelievable. I would just like go to the store and get burrata and just like sit there and eat it. <laughs> well, you know, the simplicity again, uh, there's no hiding behind what that product is. So you have to know what the peak for every fruit, vegetable, and even piece of cheese is and use it at that totally perfect totally. desired time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's and it just and the and the simple pairings that are the classics, like the Punterelli I was saying, even even bad is great because it, it's the product, but um yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting experience for sure. So it's when really did special. when did four seasons expand into four? And you know, you took summer and kind of like unfolded it into early mid and late yeah i did and i i took a lot of shit for that and <laughs> i'm surprised i'm not taking more right now it's shit for making summer longer i mean it, it's the yeah. greatest no it was yeah of course it, yeah <laughs> we all want a summer vacation no yeah. but uh it, it was really funny i mean i remember going through the process and it was uh it was really funny that you know been working on it for so long and then people would start looking at it and be like so you kind of just extended summer looking at me for this explanation or like you're going to crash and burn with this theory. And, uh, it was, it's, it's not like I'm trying to reinvent anything or, or, you know, like, aha, there's this thing. It's, it's really about a conversation. It's like about a, a moment of like being aware and making people aware of like when to buy stuff. And more importantly, when not to, because with everything being available everywhere, doesn't mean that it's growing right outside. And it's the stuff that you should be eating. And like, we're keep going on about how exciting it is for spring. It's like, you know, I like I'll love asparag- asparagus for a couple more weeks, and by the end of it, I'll probably hate it, and I will wait a year, and it'll be great. Same thing with peas and snaps, and by the time you're on to the new thing, so I just I think that that for me at the restaurants and the way I, I eat, it really is exciting, and I think that sharing that idea is is a really cool thing. Well, I mean, just on the menu at Ava Jeans, you can look at the Giardini right, section, right, and, and trust that what's underneath there is in season delicious. Sure. sure. But tell me what Tuscan Cavalry is. Oh, that's funny. That was um, the kale salad that I started um, at uh, when I was working at Franny's. When I was a chef de cuisine, a raw kale salad. And it was something that, you know, like I had had before. And also, like, Mark Ladner was doing a version of it. But there was, like, no acidity. And I just kind of pushed the idea with um, 
again, let's make it taste like a potato chip. You know, it's raw kale, which raw kale is delicious. I mean, it really is. Before this fucking hubbub and all this type of stuff, and it was it. It's it's delicious when you're on a farm or just like take the little tender stuff. It like has this like kind of like oceany flavor, and um, it it really started with this idea that there wasn't really any great greens. I can't stand a lot of the red oak leaves that you like look at wrong and they're like okay I'm dead, and I wanted something that was really robust and so just started playing around with that and then just kind of kind of made it like a Caesar without anchovy really spicy with chilies and tons of breadcrumbs and it just became this moment at that point it was just uh, a kale salad but um, I remember this story when I was working with Mona at, at the American Academy in Rome where she was explaining this and she doesn't remember this but I remember this because I remember writing it down in my book of like the, all the things I'll do someday when I have a restaurant and she was telling this story about how um, the Tuscans were invading at one point and they put they put uh, kale underneath and sticking out of their armor and their helmet and all these places to be perceived as being larger. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, aha, the Tuscan cavalry. So I don't know. Yeah. So I, ma- I guess I helped make kale um, great and bad for everyone. Yeah. So, well, you made kale larger. Yeah. Larger than yeah, life in I this did. country. I did. But, you know, both Ava Jeans and Tusk use this moniker of aggressively seasonal. Mm-hmm. And let, let's talk about what that actually means to you. Yes, you said you're going to get tired of mm-hmm. asparagus, but you have artichokes. You have English peas, fava beans, lettuces, bitter greens, radishes, mm-hmm. sugar snap peas. Mm-hmm. What do you do to embrace that now? Oh, uh, everything. You know, what am I, um, how am I embracing it? You know, I, I guess the best way to, to put it at the restaurant, you see, you know, you, you pointed out our little, uh, little badge we wear on our sleeve aggressively um is that i guess i can tell it with a story is that when i moved to portland an incredible city that has incredible food and incredible produce um and and everything is essentially the the that phrase that we all love and hate from farmer table is like that and we opened up this restaurant, started pushing, 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 and I started meeting all these farmers. And one of them, Anthony from Ayers Creek, I mean, grows the best beans and stone fruits I've ever had in my life. And there was all these stories about like, oh, you're going to have to buy a bunch of his stone fruits before he'll ever sell you the beans or the or the dried corn because that's the money crop, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I went out and visited him, and we kind of argued about Elliot because there's you know every farmer does different things. And then he sent me his sheet. Um, like right before we opened up Ava Jeans and I ordered so much stuff that he wrote back, you really want all this? And I'm like, is there, is there something wrong? <laughs> and, and I'm like, cause it was so expensive and it's just like, and it, it's that fierce commitment to like working with farmers. We don't take any shortcuts. I mean, we get like lemons and, and parsley and stuff like that. Um, from California and I'd still like to get avocados cause I love avocados. <laughs> but, um, we really do wait. And you know, that story with Anthony and another, another one was that, you know, one of Portland's best chefs was at the farmer's market one day, I think last year, and it was right when um, sugar snaps and favas were in season, and he looks down and he sees on it, he, he sees Ava Jean's written on these boxes, and he goes, why wasn't that on your list this week? And he goes, or the farmer goes, well, they wait for it to happen here. They don't jump ahead and then, and then start with the local stuff, which is one of those things that just is... It blows my mind. People don't talk about that. How about so many restaurants will just like jump ahead, like it's okay, like hey, it's spring. Yeah, like not necessarily here, but let's like forecast that and get in like all that stuff, and then you get in bad product only to wait for the good product. 
Like, how does that work? Like, it's so exciting to get the good product, work that through until it's not bad, yeah. and you move on. You know what I thought was very funny? I looked at the spine of your book, and it's kind of color-coded in those mm-hmm. six seasons. Mm-hmm. And the only complaint I have about your book is that I wish they were six separate books, and you can only take one out at a time during that season. That's cool. Because it kind of bookends you to exactly what's available and sure. you know, uh, what's accepted, maybe, right. in the right. Ava Jean's right. uh, right. mind. But, you know... What I also love is 95% of the recipes in the book, you know, the wonderful produce and wonderful, you know, techniques, um, really get their seasoning from olive oil. How, mm. how important is olive oil in your larder? I wouldn't know how to not make food taste good without great olive oil, um, simply put. I mean, I think it, the salad, how to dress a salad in there is very unique because we're all taught, you know, as chefs and in culinary school and even... You know, most people that don't know how to cook think they know how to dress a salad. Oh, you want to put it on the side of the bowl? Do you want to toss it in? You know, and most of those things are true. But the idea that I love, and I've, you know, ever since I think probably at Franny's when Andrew would always use, we just have bottles of vinegar and bottles of oil. All great products, right? Great, great greens or whatever you're using. Great olive oil, great vinegar, great salt, great pepper, all these things. And you learn from that process. Like you can literally make a salad taste perfect with just vinegar, salt, and pepper. Right. If you do that right, where it won't be too, too acidic. And I love to push that a little bit and then actually use olive oil as a flavor. So we get it to this perfect point and then use that so you can taste it. And that theory and the the idea that we don't use vinaigrettes, because I really do believe and correct me if I'm wrong. What do you think about this? That when you when you make a vinaigrette, I feel like they're kind of fighting each other and eating each other. So the olive oil tastes less like it does. And the soda is the vinegar. And you're kind of like, you, no one ever really thinks about that. It's like, oh, add more salt and pepper, da, 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 this and this. But it's like, why can't we just do that all together? Yeah. No, I, I think it's it, it's a funny given. You know, it's an expectation that you mix oil and vinegar together and you make this salad dressing. But it's also specific to what oil and, and what vinegar you're using. So it's really hard to just right. give a steadfast rule about that. Right. That's exactly but, it. But, I mean, I'm going to call you out. You do have amazing vinaigrettes in your book, a caper raisin, a pancetta, a pine nut. A citrus, a lemon cream. Right, right. And those are more like dressings, right? Than, than like vinaigrettes, the simplicity of that. And that caper raisin one, I totally stole. I say that in the <laughs> book, but that, we just served that last night. If you haven't made that, that's like one of the recipes to honestly make in that book, because that will make you make more recipes in that book, because it just changes everything. At one point, I think my publisher was like, and Martha, they were both like, uh, you can't use that anymore. Like, you keep making all these. I'm like, yeah, but that's what we do at the restaurant. Like, the vegetable changes, and we still use the same thing. But it's amazing. It tastes like Chinese food in the weirdest, best possible way. You know, I, I forget exactly how you said it, but there's something in this book that tells you if, if you learn how to do one recipe, it kind of opens the door for a lot of different ones. Um, and maybe that's a foundational thing. Maybe that's, you know, you have a very specific flavor profile that comes out of your larder. Mm-hmm. But what, what does that mean to you? And what are the other kind of gateway recipes in this book? You know, that, what it means to me is that, like, my dad, living in Wisconsin, like this rock of a human being and just an amazing person. and so simple. And he's been saying to me for, like, the last 15, 20 years that I've been involved in cooking and at restaurants, like, he certainly understands it more. But every time I talk to him about like recipes and stuff, he's always saying, oh, "I gotta, I gotta, you know, work, learn some new things." And I'm like, "It's not like having a repertoire of recipes; it's understanding food, and then building that, and then building recipes into that, and just like being able to make things and making them taste good, or also fuck them up and then don't do that again." 
fucked. You know what I mean? That's how we all learn. So I think that's the idea. It's just that willingness to like, you know, you learn from this and that builds those blocks, you know? Well, I, I feel like if anyone wants to learn from someone else's fuck ups, mm. six seasons is a great <laughs> way to do so. Yeah. Still going to taste yeah. <laughs> Josh, thank you so yeah. much uh, for being here. Everyone should go out and get six seasons, a new way with vegetables by artisan books and visit Ava jeans in Portland, any season of the year. Thank you again for thank being you on for having me. The food scene. You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Bob's Red Mill, music by Cookies, and David Tadashore Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.